It is. What date is it now? It's the 30th, maybe. The 30th of December. Depends if you're a patron subscriber or not. Well, it, regardless, we're in the perineum of the year. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. We're in the, the bath. The gooch. <laughs> the absolute bath of the year. The gooch. Um, and I, uh, even though obviously we're recording this much early in December so we can get some time off, I am comfortably going to predict that uh, our Facebook page and our Twitter were besieged by outraged listeners agreeing with me that Queen are far better than the Beatles. <laughs> Uh, well, do you know what? I've just this very moment. I've have you got, googled it? I've, is Queen better than the Beatles? Yeah, I've gone on my <laughs> no. Much like when you tried to convince me that Kiss were better than Iron Maiden, <laughs> Which I've is gone also, on. Sorry, Motley Crue. It's also true. No, no, that was uh, there was, I mean, Kiss there was two different. There was like, different no, conversations. Much like when you guys tried to convince me that Motley Crue had more hit songs than Kiss, That's which is true. fucking ridiculous. Oh fuck! Uh, so I've gone on Twitter and asked, "Answer me this: oh, the Twitter Beatles or a Queen?" Well, at the moment, it's uh, 4-1 to Queen yes. <laughs> over the Beatles. So. I'm telling you, man, you guys, you're just, your finger is not on the pulse. Dave. Uh, you're you're well. fucking tone This death. is the public that voted for Trump and voted yeah. for Johnson. Oh, so, and voted on. for Johnson. Yeah. I've done the wrong thing. Could you shut the kitchen door? It's, I'm getting a bit of a draft. <laughs> <laughs> fucking passive-aggressive. Smoking that true Beatles fan. <laughs> I'm having so, a bit of a draft there. Uh. I hope you all had a lovely Christmas. Uh, it's it's literally te- it's ten <laughs> minutes after the last podcast for us. Thanks. That is, I think that's closed, Chris. Is that better? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're just going to ask some more silly questions to each other. Some more serious questions as well. Serious questions. Serious musical. Serious questions. Topical for, musical for debate. Serious men. I've drank more than half of my mulled wine, so... Yeah, uh, you're behind. Um, when does it get okay to DJ Michael Jackson tracks again is the question that Mark wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a question that I asked. I asked Chris that question at a club night, and I was like, he's like, what do you follow, what do you follow uh, Prince with? And I was like, Michael Jackson. But no, it's going to be cameo instead, right. head, but... <laughs> it's like, dude, it's, it's too soon. Yeah, I know. But I've been to, I've been to various venues, um, at various parties and stuff like that, and Michael Jackson's been played, and not a, a lot of people, fucking person back in A lot of people haven't cancelled him. Uh, I would DJ'd a wedding quite recently and got asked for Michael Jackson, and I said, I'm afraid... That's not going to be happening. But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to. Yeah, my he's not been. He's not been fully publicly cancelled. He's just been cancelled within walk circles. Uh, walk circles. It well, appears. Somebody asked uh, recently, when not on Saturday, but previously uh, for the Smiths, and I was like, I, mm. I, 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 I can't do it. I mean, I can't do it one because they're pish, but I, I can't I, do it. See, that's an interesting one. I don't think the Smiths are cancelled. I think Morrissey's clearly cancelled. See, that's the thing. It's it's like, a, it would be a guilty listen now. Shame for Johnny, the That's like That's fucking like saying Lost Profits are not cancelled. Like, no. They basically are. I mean, the Lost Profits are definitely They were cancelled. garbage, right? They're obviously, <laughs> but a lot of people still like them. Um, see, I mean, the other guys in Lost Profits weren't fiddly. Yeah. No, they weren't at all. Um, what, what was the other one? Uh, Oh, I've lost my train of thought. R. Kelly. I mean, take R. Kelly. Take no, R. No, people <laughs> still play R. Kelly. Really? I mean, fucking Chris Brown still gets played on the radio. Chris All Brown. The, yeah, that's, still, that's a total like, bullshit thing, man. What the fuck is that? Yeah, fuck that guy. Absolutely, fuck that guy. He's he's a fucking. He's as big as he ever was. Man. Yeah. It, there, yeah, there's yeah, there's a really good Jim Jeffries sketch. Like, are you famous enough to be a successful paedophile? Mm. And that's a that's a good yeah. one because there is like a dividing line of like there's like an axis of like profitability. Yeah. Versus well, it's interesting to see how low the monarchy stock has fallen that they are now not big enough to save. You know, Prince Andrew will be thrown to the wolves as the, the non-sweaty. Sort of, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, as the guy. Pizza that, fan. 
<laughs> I, th- I think mm. I think the pu- I think the elite will accept him as a victim, but there are certain other members of the elite that won't be uh, given up as think, easily as him. I think these are interesting times. There was a news story that broke. Well, for you guys, like twenty six days ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I noticed there's a news story that broke. Uh, that was the wealthiest six people in Britain have as much as the bottom thirteen million. Yep. Which was quite remar- remarkable in terms of like <laughs> fuel throwing fuel in the fire of resentment and class fucking animosity. Uh, so I don't know if Andy will uh, escape. And then there was also like rumours of the Queen dying. She may well have died. By Gibble, now. Gibble broke that. Be totally fucking did. Gibble lied to us. Yeah, that's true. That could have happened. Can I get real for a second? And you might. Want <laughs> it's just not, not real. Ha- you, no, you might want. You might. You might want to cut this back in. But I've been thinking about this a lot this year because I have a few friends that have been like uh, harping on about this whole fucking cancel culture and Louis C.K. and why he's like not as like willing for uh, not he, why he's not as um. What's what I'm looking for? But he's not as uh, up for being uh, accepted. Redeemed? When, when, yeah, redeemed. Why he's not as up for being redeemed when compared to Anzi Sansari, right? Well, because what he did was totally different. Well, that's that's one thing I was going to say, yeah. But also, like, I think there's a lot of people that kind of go around talking about how, like, if something gets cancelled, at what point do they can, what, at what point can they be, like, so apologetic enough that they can then be uncancelled? I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been thinking to myself, like, I don't understand why people think people should be uncancelled, right? And then I finally came to the conclusion that is, see if a school teacher did something like that, they'd be struck off. They would never be allowed to do that job again because they abused that power. Mm-hmm. And why is it not the same for a musician? people who have quote unquote fame, right? That person's clearly proven. So they should they be struck off the, to do that job because they abused the, the register. Power. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, but I mean, that not but the, you know? I mean, the thing—the whole point of this is that there are shades of grey, and it's not like one person does the wrong thing and then therefore are cancelled. The, the whole that problem is the with problem. this, yeah, we were, we were the problem with this is that like there's been like bans where, and I suppose Anzis Ansari was one of these, but then there's been bans that have come out and talked about this, and or things have been have been accused of things, and it's not clear what has gone wrong and it's all about miscommunication and some things are a lot worse than others well, I think and the whole point is that, that there's no the, right or wrong way of treating people like this because every single case has to be treated subjectively that's more that's more the gist of it i think we were I mean, we were talking about um friends of ours who'd taken the posting up about how winston churchill was like history's greatest monster and you know that complete lack of nuance in, mm-hmm. in anything. I mean, Winston Churchill did a lot of really awful stuff and definitely yeah. had serious problems with racism. But, you know, then again... The, so did the entire society that time. It wasn't <laughs> just well, him. I think also you have to look, look at it and that the, the world in Europe would be a very different place if he hadn't done what he did, um, amongst other things. So, I, they, But clearly like what Aziz Ansari was accused of, which I think is probably the one of the best examples of the cancel culture uh, somewhat out of control um, because you can repudiate someone for something that you feel is mildly inappropriate but to fucking literally obliterate their character publicly and their career or attempt to at least for, for something like that and then to sort of conflate it with what Louis C.K. did which was a great deal 
more serious to then conflate that with what Harvey Weinstein did, which was a great deal more serious again, to conflate that with what Ian Watkins for Lost Prophets did, which was a great deal more serious again. It's like, it's just a completely obscene laziness in the discourse. Yeah, somehow all of those are just covered under the same cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's not how the world works. Yeah, and and it should be, and it shouldn't be up to us and it shouldn't be up to the Twitter mob to decide. It should be up to as it was before the internet. It should be up to the small circles of society and then uh dispassionate thinkers on it as much as is possible to try and make a serious fucking judgment on it. But unfortunately, we are the Twitter mob as well, so we're kind of we can't I talk mean, about that like it's another thing. I, that's what I was going to say. Like, at, at what point does it go? Like the Twitter mob, they've decided that Lucy Key is not going to cancelled. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean what, what he done? I don't I mean, really give a fuck if Lucy gets CK gets. Like, I mean, it's not a case of getting uncancelled. I just don't particularly care about seeing Lucy K again. Yeah. So I yeah. think the no, like for the me, that he's ban is like it, yeah. That I'm exactly the same. It's not. I don't care if he's cancelled or not. I just know that I don't trust him. Yeah, that's and the, I don't that's, want to see him. So I'm I've made it up. Yeah, me like, personally, he's cancelled for me, but he's not. A, see, I think I maybe, don't think there should be a big cancelled over him. Something to illustrate is like the fact that if it, if it was a, if it was like a if it was a board, I'm not going to say there'll ever be a board of cancelled culture, right? But if it was a profession, there'd be a board which would decide that that person should no longer be a, a, a able to take a position of power again. Do you know what I mean? And obviously we can't have that. We yeah, won't ever have that's, that. that but, that's, that's, but it's worth thinking about when well, you think about these things, I, I think. Right, so I think there, I mean, obviously there's a, a danger of being a little bit glib with the kind of conflation again with teaching because that's something where public money... I don't just mean teaching, I mean like if you're no, a doctor but, but, or a but, lawyer yeah, but th- or that, That's kind of my like, point. Certainly in this country, you're in receipt of public money. It's not private practice. So technically if you're a celebrity, it's private practice. And so your fortunes will be based on the, the 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 market's ability to decide whether or not the market wants to, to give you money. If you're a teacher, a doctor, a policeman, whatever, and it's a state-funded thing, you're getting public money. And I think the public, if any of them have an objection to that, have a right to air that objection. So I don't think a teacher where they're getting public funding and they're guaranteed an income regardless of the marketplace is the same as Louis C.K. taking a chance, going back on the circuit and seeing who turns up. Because that's really, that's unfortunately one of the natures of capitalism in the sense that it's like, well, it's up to the market to decide. If enough people have made their own decision that they're willing to either look past it, don't know about it, or have got over it, then they can go and see him again. He has a private uh, venture is able to do that but I think like teaching and those kind of things where you're guaranteed an income at the at the expense of taxpayers and in, in that way you're victims or victims in a social sense that's quite different but what I think what this really comes down to is that Queen are better than the Beatles <laughs> <laughs> and we should remember that yeah so uh, I mean it, we're having a very festive chat about yeah it. I, I don't know I, th- I, I agree what you're saying man but I'm just trying to underline the point of like there's there's people that decide as people don't decide and I think it's it becomes an interesting conversation when you I think start we should hunt them down with torches. Ah, I'm up for that. You can do pitchforks. That too, yeah. I love it. Pitchfork. It Remember when uh, it was all right for Mel Gibson to be anti-Semitic and Tully wasn't making the right amount of money, and then it was like, right, fuck that, get him done. Same with Kevin Spacey. It's like, nah, he's been no, doing this. I, it's, it's always been okay for Mel Gibson to be anti-Semitic because he's Catholic. So <laughs> Kevin Spacey, it's like he's been doing that shit and worse for fucking decades. But it was like, well, he's kind of he's stars in the wane now. We can. He's to, he was held to account though. That's the thing. Like, Take so, him down. He wasn't really yeah. though, was he? I uh, Ricky Gervais took the piss out of him. So uh, that's, that's, that's it. He's done been held to account. Oh, if people! Yeah. If people knew what Kevin Spacey's been up to, really. Uh, all right. So we should uh, answer some questions. Or yes. Some questions. Yes. We might we as well do doing. something funny. Okay. Well, the next 
subject is one that we devised for ourselves. And it's a little bit special because it's Christmas. Yeah. And we hadn't done a sound as a pound in a while. And we thought we should try and shoehorn this back in so people mm-hmm. don't forget it. Make it a thing. Uh, so sound as a pound was where we buy a little present for each other. Well, no, no. From no, the pound no, shop. The original sound as a pound is where we go into the pound shop. Yeah. Any pound shop. And you have a budget of one pound to buy a record and try and make it something worth talking about. Well, we thought, it's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Let's spend two pounds and buy each of my other guys here. <laughs> guys, I had to go for that word. I wasn't sure what to say. Um, a, a little gift. So yeah. we've all bought the other two uh, a little treat. Um, and I think, I, think, I think we should pass them out. Hey, I, right, yeah, let's, let's literally yeah. just pass them out. I'm about, oh, to, not pause. I'm about to open my bag. Can you hear my bag? No, let's, let's, let's just keep it rolling. Let's just grab that shit. I'm going to throw mine at each other at Please you. Don't throw it at me. <laughs> no. Chris, throw, wait a minute. Catch this. Yeah. Uh, the cellophane's still on it. Yep. I brought, huh. I brought my whole poly bag with me. Oh, David, you shouldn't have. <laughs> you actually shouldn't have. <laughs> uh, Mark, here's your present, which you probably own already. I actually don't. You know, it's quite funny, right? <laughs> Uh, David, I, I actually don't own this record, even though I fucking <laughs> actually really used to love it. Don't throw, it, don't throw that at me, <laughs> Dave. Have some. Oh, that was a good catch, Chris. This CD's already broken anyway. So. Oh, God. <laughs> I wonder why that. Is. Yeah, these have all come from the pound shop. Can I actually hear oh, the pound oh, store? I love it when it's rattling about inside the case. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry Mark, I dropped it. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> well. Uh, can I be the first to say thank you very much, David, for Garbage Version 2.0? Yeah. I, I, it's exactly what I was asking for. Well, you know, I wanted... 1998. I wanted... Not to get. Uh, to get you a 90s alt-rock thing with Butch Vig involved, so I, I like got you that. That's what you think Butch it is. Butch Vig. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? The first Garbage album is pretty good. Do you know that the year the first Garbage album came out, um, as a wee poor fucking... Only child getting spoiled by my parents. My gift that Christmas makes was so much sense. A little CD player, like a little fucking what do you call it? Like a wee boombox. Yeah, a and kettle blaster, like yeah, a mini, we, a small, we, a council house and blaster. One CD, <laughs> and that's all I had was one CD. And, and it what was CD Garbage's was his first album, first record. Yeah, not wow. a bad record. Not bad. Um, good at the it's time. Dated. Dated, but I think. Uh, so um, we obviously, you know, for the we have listened to these albums. Um, don't, don't don't dispel the illusion. <laughs> well, otherwise, we're just going to be fucking like. Well, I like the cellophane on the outside, David. That's really nice. It's really neat. Um, <laughs> no, I mean uh, that first. I have some thoughts in garbage. Mm-hmm. So we'll yeah, kick, yeah, go we'll for kick it. Kick us off. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I would say um, that. So in Garbage version 2.0, mm-hmm. there are six singles. Yeah. Right? <laughs> six fucking singles. And I mean, they're not good, no. but they're, they're singles. What One thing that's interesting is that the first single off that album coming on the back of the first album, which I think was a total unexpected success, mm-hmm. um, is a song called Push It, which is like number seven. Yeah, and it's really like you won't recognize it. It's not like a big song, even in mm-hmm. the context of the record, despite being a single. 
but it sounds the most like the first album, and that's kind of interesting because they're still kind of seems like they maybe didn't know what was going to work yeah. for them to kind of ma- you know to make another big impact so it doesn't seem like they'd really planned the first one yeah and i think that's kind of something that really that that really brings to my attention something a bit garbage that i think i was too naive to really realize in like 97 96 97 96 or, i think 95 95 the debut mm. actually 95 Fuck. Uh, yeah so i was too naive to realize in 95 when that came out Right, garbage had like pre-existed. So, like the people that were in it, Butch Vig and the two other ugly old guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember their names, but they're all producers. They were all like one of the guys does soundtracking and scoring for films. Yeah, they all worked in studios. But Butch Vig obviously is mega famous for doing Nevermind and any number of other projects. Mm-hmm. These guys had realized that they were getting a little bit frustrated as producers and they started writing these tracks and originally the guys were singing and fronting the band on these tracks mm-hmm. and the tracks were very pop orientated they had really high production values they were very like cashing in on that sort of alternative zeitgeisty pop rock republica type crossover thing that was going on Um, and then the guys were kind of coming to the conclusion that we're not going to break here unless we have a young woman fronting this band. So they started canvassing around. One of the guys was watching late night MTV and saw, um, I can't remember what the name of the band was, uh, Angelfish, I think it was. Yeah, it's Angel- Angelfish. Angelfish, Shirley Manson's band at the time. back a goodbye Mr. McKenzie which she'd been in previously and was like we need somebody unusual but good with it but with a, an interesting look and so they basically contacted this girl from Edinburgh bearing in mind these guys are working from like fucking LA they, they were like contact this girl from Edinburgh that we've seen on late night TV and recruit her for the band then redo these tracks with this young woman fronting it and these fucking crumbly old balding guys doing the backing music Stop me if this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's uh, like for uh, when we need a new female uh, host on our podcast. That's what we're going to have to do. Yeah. We're going to have to go to LA and find a, a yeah. young girl to come and get crumbly old guys. So I guess in, in hindsight, seeing that, I'm like, oh, that's a little bit disillusioning. It's mm-hmm. a little bit, there's something a wee bit tacky about that. And I think I didn't, it wasn't until listening to this that it becomes so brazen because it's not really that brazen in the first album because the first album is still you can and it seems to have a lot of per- her personality in it because she's got such a like oh, a yeah, I mean, she's, charismatic presence yeah, she's, to she's it great. she's great yeah. she definitely it's a it's a clever addition it does what they set out to do And they were right. They absolutely needed like an attractive young female focal point to, yeah. to, to sell that product. But it, it still feels more genuine and a bit more naive. And the best material is on the early on the early record, I think. From this point on, like I said, six singles. There's no mistaking what they're trying to do with the fucking record with six singles. Um, the, the production on it is a bit more heavy handed. It, it I think it's actually aged worse than the debut. Like it, it just feels so fucking cloy and like derivative. What you've got to prove I think I'm 
he's trying hard as fuck all the way through. I mean, that track, I think I'm paranoid, sounds like a Lego alt rock. Yeah. Really yeah, yeah. heavily processed. There's the vocals in the first verse also as well sound exactly like an REM vocal, like they've mm-hmm. copied the exact pattern. And I I never liked the chorus and that. And but like as I said, I liked Garbage's first album. Like so I was Yeah. I was growing up pretty fast here, kinda realising that all right, okay, maybe things aren't always what they seem. But this album immediately I was gone. I was like, right, I'm off I'm off this train. Um When I grew up, do you remember that song? Yeah. And I grow up. That one. I'll be, just sounds like Republica. Mm-hmm. If you remember the band Republica. I do indeed. Um, yeah. I, I, and there's a track on it called Special as well that I think they all, they, they kind of conspire to really highlight how fucking artificial garbage as a project was. The first garbage album was a garbage album. The second garbage album was, uh, let's try and mix Skunk and Nancy with the Cardigans, with uh, Republica, with Elastica, and all of these female fronted rock bands, and try and get the best of all of it, and try and yeah. like really make this product that's going to be better than all of it, and it ends up just being this fucking tacky thing that isn't good within itself. Whereas, yeah, that first garbage record stands up. Yeah, it's good to see that. Uh music is in a healthy condition when today they announced an Alaris Morissette 2020 world tour supported yep. by garbage supported by garbage yeah That's hey goes, nostalgia man. sells mate. nostalgia sells fucking member berries <laughs> uh, Mark who's, for, who's present you going to talk about so uh, since uh, Chris just spoke about um, the present that you got him mm-hmm. I think I will talk about the present that Chris got me <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome Mark I can see you're very um, happy which <laughs> is one of uh, 1.3 million copies of the record that was 1. sold 1.3 million uh, of Enya's Shepherdman <laughs> By the way, I kept clicking on the wrong album because she's got another album with a cover that's almost identical. And I was she like, surely does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't know this. I learned quite a lot by doing research on this. Um, Enya's from Ireland. Yeah, I knew that. I mean, I didn't know that. Um, you didn't know she was Irish? I didn't know that. I just thought she was from Oh, no, she was, pa- yeah. she was part of like the 90s Irish boom to go along with. The Cranberries. Uh, the Cranberries, Bewitched, Ballycus Angel, uh, Father Ted and... The IRA. The, uh, well, no, they were coming down. <laughs> like, they were kind of trailing off a little bit. They were entering their stadium phase. Enya is a real first name as well, which is yeah. mental. I didn't know that. Um, and she was in a band called Clanad in the 80s. Oh, Do you remember she, them? Was she in Clanad? Yeah, she yeah. was in Clanad. Uh, who did the co- oh, they're what? still going yeah but they did yeah, she left in 82 so she, was only, she wasn't there for very long they did yeah. the song to that film uh, about terrorism 
I think. Oh, Fuck, yeah. what is it called? I know the one you mean. Yeah, I know. The it's one. a really beautiful soundtrack, yeah. actually. And then there's a dance version of it as well. Chicane Offshore or something did it. Anyway. So anyway, this album is exactly what you think it would sound like. It's basically a telephone hold music. Hmm. Um, it's By the way, a la- like a last yeah, night, but I was, while you're in the bath, I was seriously <laughs> tempted to add a blast beat to this album <laughs> <laughs> and see how it sounded. Man, I was like, I was like fucking about with it. I was like. I think um, what's probably worth mentioning to people that might might even flirt with the idea of listening to it on Spotify. Whoa, wait a minute. On Spotify, it says it was released in 2003. That's incorrect. That's yeah, no, it's, it's, a it's early 90s, yeah, it was released isn't it? in 1991. So I was listening yeah. to it on Spotify when Chris told me, and I was like, man, everything sounds so fake in this record. And then I realised it was the early 90s, that's why. Excuse <laughs> me, right? I, there is one thing about this record that really caught me off guard when I was listening to it. You know that thing where you buy someone a present. It's yeah. it's untethered beauty. <laughs> <laughs> it's timelessness. Um, no, it's the fact that it actually sounds a lot like a bunch of stuff that was quite big about four or five years ago. Uh, for example, it sounds like, in a lot of places, it sounds like Beach House minus the drums. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting because um, it, it is like the ultimate background music. I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Like, I mom, mean, it was like big dinner party music for yeah. like that sort of middle-aged set. I remember hearing this record in the car because my mum had a copy of it for some fucking reason and it was always like, that's just there. It's not like, there's nothing like engaging about it. Do you know what I mean? I'm telling you, man, you could, if, if we were, I mean, if we were really serious about this podcast, which clearly we're not, um, we could easily set up and run a taste test, a fake Pepsi challenge on this album and say, this is this album from this LA shoegaze band, pass it <laughs> off as like a sort of like a Salem meets be- uh, Beach House meets like some kind of wispy thing. I'm, I'm yeah. absolutely adamant. If you listen to this with a kind of like a blind approach, might the remastered version so it doesn't sound quite so stodgy like the old one, you could get away with it at points, definitely get away with it. That's why I was going to add a beat to it because when I realised the similarities with some stuff that was coming out four or five years ago, I was like, fuck man. Music in the mainstream, uh, sorry, alternative music now is so safe. By yeah, but standards. also like music, you because this was such a or this record, the one before I think what was it Watermark? That yeah. was the one with Orinoco Flow and like sold like twenty million or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Like, that was so... Oh, my God, I've drunk too much mulled wine. I can't remember any words. <laughs> but because it was um, so prevalent and surri- like um, ubiquitous ubiquitous uh, in culture, I think it was ingrained in a lot of people's psyche. And like growing up, when you're like three years old, four years old, that's a very nostalgic thing. And then when you're making electronic music when you're 20, 25, that's something you kind of automatically go back to. You go back to like the video games of your youth or adverts and like Enya was just like something that was there for everybody it in the is, early 90s. It's weird though because of like technology now it's so easy to replicate. Like because of like home mm. studios the idea of putting on like a bunch of synthy pads a couple of wee blippy bloops and yeah. then tons of reverb on an, an Uzi Azzy kind of vocal yeah. is so easily done and a lot of people do it as a yeah. result and mm-hmm. it basically sounds like Enya. That's yeah. actually one of the things I found quite interesting about this like the music does absolutely fucking nothing for me right like in any capacity but I've heard Caribbean Blue before I've heard Book of Days I've heard Marble Halls they were the big singles this record Caribbean so- Blue is a fucking like I'm in the pit for that one <laughs> <laughs> The orchestra pit. It sold 13 million copies, you know what I mean? Like, it was not a fucking slouch. It was number one in the UK album charts, for fuck's sake. And Enya, like, arranged it all, like... And that's that's fucking cool, man. But I think a lot of the song structures are really interesting. Um, Just... You've heard it's like we're saying. You've heard it so much by this point. It's like there's nothing there anymore. Mm. You know, it's that whole new agey vibe, which is definitely a big thing in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, man, it just became. It's also like she's also a fucking easy target for like jokes and stuff like that. I mean, it's like Enya is such a go-to fucking punchline for you know any number of like slaggins. Yeah, if you're given an an album a slagging, you know. But, but I think- she's she's Ireland's second biggest selling artist of all time behind you two. Uh, she do you know what she never toured she like oh, intensely really? private and never did a concert tour like Salem um, <laughs> <laughs> but she's one of the best Should've. selling artists of all time she sold something like 75 million records worldwide mm. just and she makes just nice by ha- background music just by having Hunters of Reverb yeah yeah exactly yeah, that's it and do you know as soon as like when you sent this when I knew you sent this to Mark I, I just ultimately thought of Having a bath. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> fucking, a bath. Fucking true, yeah, yeah. A couple absolutely. of candles, scented candles, and a bath. One of those salt bombs, one of those bath bombs. Yeah, absolutely. Like, fucking right. It's yeah. like the body shop. And in, a swan. Yeah. Having a bath. <laughs> <laughs> and a swan walking in yeah. with a tray of hors d'oeuvres. And <laughs> a swan serving you hors d'oeuvres yeah. in the bath. Would you like an olive? <laughs> I think so, uh, uh, yeah. Enya should be admired for the fact that she is very capable as a musician and she's got a fucking cracking voice, but her, she's not a really good songwriter. So <laughs> she did alright for herself. Right? She's done really fucking well for herself, regardless of that. Yeah, yeah fuck so. it. Mm. Yeah, good, so good, good chat, David boy. All right, uh, who shall I go for? Oh, right, I'll go for my Spin one from wheel. Chris first. Oh, okay. yeah. oh my goodness! Uh, is that Chris? A questionable I mean, album. Fucking hell! <laughs> but it's an it's a really interesting little it's time interesting. capsule. It's interesting. That's, that's why I picked totally it. So picked you it. have got me. The Shire Horses <laughs> present the worst album in the world ever, <laughs> ever. Got a face, well, I tell you, honey, you should see. 
so if the you weren't around in the nineties, the best album in the world ever. Yeah, yeah. I think I had like the first six. Like genuinely, <laughs> there was some shit on them, but like uh, that was like mid nineties. They and were you got, after now as well. You like, got the thick cassette, like double cassette box, um, and yeah, you're now thirty two to whatever. Still going. That was still going. That was like your pop with a couple of indie and a couple of dance tracks mm. on it, but like that was mainstream pop. Uh, that now that's then the the best album in the world and then had all the artists on it yeah. ever that was like your more alternative indie rock grungy sort of stuff mm-hmm. and i remember the first one i got and it had yeah it had oasis and it had blur and it had Stereophonics. pop but it ha- also had like the prodigy it would have orbital on it and then it would also have like presidents of the united yeah, usa it did, it and it would good, have good moments yeah um like beck on it and it would like interesting they were, they were the albums that if you went to a party and the music was humming you could at least find two or three really good tunes on them yeah to, totally to, to stick them on yeah. um, so this record by the Shire Horses is a satire a <laughs> satire gives it too much credit <laughs> but what so the Shire Horses are Mark and Lard who used to be Radio 1 DJs and they used to present the breakfast show yeah, in the early 90s I know, and then uh, when I listened to them it was like mid 90s and they were on in the afternoon and they were they were surreal comedy and like as a 12 year old listening to that it was genuinely <laughs> he was like what the fuck is this because like they used to do like fake call-ups uh, and it was quite it was it was very absurd humor kind of in the vein of Vic and Bob like shooting stars that sort yeah, of thing yeah. very off the wall very off the wall um, not as good but I, not yeah, necessarily well, not. as good but I mean yeah. they've they've both gone on to become legitimate six music you know presenters Mark, well, Mark Radcliffe, Mark, Radcliffe, is, Radcliffe uh, and Mark Riley yeah he does, both, he does fucking glass I'm really sure that yeah Mark exactly Radcliffe, and Mark man. Riley used to be in The Fall uh, at one point he was obviously one of 55 keyboardists throughout their <laughs> timeline uh, I, I'm not sure if he was the guy that was fired for eating a salad but he's definitely <laughs> one of the guys in the fall um, but the Shire Horses is, is basically like it shows how big Britpop and Brit Rock was in the mid 90s mm-hmm. because this was a thing that they did on their radio show where they did stupid comedy covers and like you know piss takes of uh, stuff by Oasis and Placebo and stuff like that and it was so big that uh, Warner Brothers, Warner Music UK Limited, released a compilation and then th- did another one. They did another one four years later. Yeah. Uh, which, so this was, was the a, first which one. Which was a piss take of Radiohead's Kid A. Called- yeah, it's called Our Kid A. Because it was all like, it was always like this north of English, like north of England humour. So on here, we've got... Can I just Stuff say like, something about that North of England humour? Right, I think it's really interesting. It's going to come up again. They were <laughs> no. I think it's really interesting that they were so big in terms of like a, a DJ and like a, a voice on like the most popular radio show in the UK. Yeah. When New Labour, a bunch of fucking Oxbridge cunts were into power, and the BBC has always had this has always had the reputation of having like these privately educated like old boys club style people in charge, and then you get somebody like. These guys who are like really fucking popular. Yeah, but at the same, but at the it's same time, youth like, culture was taking over. You had like the whole point was like Britpop and like Tony Blair was inviting Oasis uh, into uh, Ten Downing Street. You'd got rid of the Tories. I mean, Tony Blair, although he, you know, fucking Oxford guy, was not John Major or Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, We'd had true. Tory rule for eighteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What was, you that, also, what was that phrase they had around about the time that Oasis were going to Downing Street? It was fucking like something Britain. Cool Britannia. Cool Britannia. It was Cool Britannia and you, you also had Loaded and FHM and Lad Culture. You had Denise Van Out and, and uh, Kelly Brook. Johnny, what's his name? Uh, yeah. The Big Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah you had yeah. TFI Friday. You had Chris Evans. Johnny Vaughn. Zoe Ball on uh, the Radio One Breakfast Show. It was like so 90s youth culture, lad everything and this remember, was like um, a little piss take of it but it was also totally part of it david this uh do you remember when i got presented an award by denise van outen and i wore <laughs> was that and i wore a fake handlebar mustache and yeah. then i gave you the award yeah, and a guy punched in the face and you dropped it and broke it it was a good night <laughs> 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 it's because i was trying to smash a traffic light with <laughs> uh anyway uh anyway this album the shy horses uh, I mean, it's dreadful. Yes, then you sent it to Jeremy Beadle. I did, because you're gormless. But I'd do anything for you. Yes, but you're gormless. <laughs> it's it's really bad, but... You went wrong. <laughs> it's like, you can, it's badly recorded, badly played. <laughs> some of the so humour, some of the humour... Is passable after one listen as a 12 year old. What's it like after a bottle of mold wine? <sighs> it's bad, man. It's bad. Like, you've got uh, oh, Dick Cave and the Bad Cheese <laughs> featuring Alan Ball, The Ballad of Franny Lee. got poor faces <laughs> come on squeeze my boils <laughs> you've got baby bloke uh baby bird uh you're a bastard <laughs> uh you've got edwin bobbins girl like you uh do for grass feel like what's even funny about edwin bobbins what's the fucking joke there uh, bobbins rather than collins yeah but what's the, what is bobbins, bobbins is rubbish it's like English slang for oh, that's total that's total bobbins. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. They do a good piss take of Kula Shaker. Um, you know when Kula Shaker were like the the uh, Middle Eastern, the Middle Eastern like, Indian yeah. yoga Brit <laughs> rock band. So they're called Pilatator. Um, but yeah, terrible. Pilatator, and they but a really they, interesting think little about, time capsule. Think about the how fucking high you have to be to go Pilatator, and then think that's so funny to go uh, all the way through with that, writing, recording, releasing a fucking album. With a thing, on a major label, on a major label and it got to number twenty two in the charts. That's not funny enough in the first place to justify that. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for that, Chris. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm the glad 90s fuck it analyze the 90s though what a time oh, speaking of the 90s Chris do you want to talk about 2000s the early 2000s Mark fucking hell man um, <laughs> so Mark you bought me an album called Vehicles and Animals by a band called Athlete I would venture that this is the least artistically important piece of music <laughs> we have covered <laughs> in two years. You know, but we, is that good top loader or like? I think it's it's well, less. It's far less interesting than top loader. Interesting, <laughs> it really is. interesting because there was two 
times that we've commented on the phenomenon of Englishness. Yeah. Right? Top loader and hood. Uh-huh. Obviously hood, I, I'm not classing them in with this, right? But we spoke about the, the, the phenomenon of like plight Englishness in music. And top loader, we spoke about the sort of Middle England banality of like Jamie fucking... Which yeah, is, Jamie Oliver. Uh, but at least it had that cover on it. That wasn't their own, but at least, yeah. you know, so a bit th- of life. Yeah. This is the biggest fucking musical <laughs> shrug you could imagine. <laughs> really like, this is. album is astonishing. Like it's like it's like it, it, it it's it's fucking like remarkable in its unremarkableness. <laughs> yeah, really like, yeah, it's, truly. It's, Um, I mean, they're, they're, for example, I, I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating. The, the same drum beat is on about eight of the songs. Oh yeah, it's got that weird kind of, it's like a weird kind of eighties style synth, which I think is a bit jaunty and cool. But it's like, yeah. fuck off, mate. Like, why is that there? Well, it makes fucking. It makes. Remember when I took Snow Patrol in recently? Yeah. <laughs> it makes Final Straw by Snow Patrol seem like fucking Captain Beefheart. So like, it's unreal. But that's just fucking nominated for American Music Prize. <laughs> like, what the fuck, but man? That's. that's First of all, that's interesting because that's perfectly exactly what the Mercury Music Prize really does symbolise. Really, that's why bands like Young Fathers don't give a fuck when they get the Mercury Music Prize because they're like, so what? But Disney Rascal won it instead of them, so it's like, so it's like they 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 try they, they get in with like cool kids by picking like PG Harvey twice or whatever. But ultimately, the Mercury Prize, their heart lies with this kind of stuff. This is this is where they fucking see it, like inoffensiveness. Um, I mean, it sounds like Witherspoons. It's like yeah. that vibe yeah. um, or like Brewers. It, it, no, it sounds like, um, oh fuck, what's the shop? It's not Primark. I can picture where it is in the Eastgate Shopping Centre in Century Inverness. Century 21? Uh, no, I just remember with my ex-girlfriend going and like standing in the corner and it never had any signal and she'd try everything on and I would just be so... Uh, no, uh, I'll come back to you. Little Woods, New Look. New Look, that's what it fucking sounds like. It sounds like New Look. Oh, um, so, that's, that's inspired the, a whole so, a whole raft of bands like fuck. Well, I, I don't think it inspired it. I think this was part of. Yeah, I think like, yeah. like basically this is like you'll know some of the songs in it. Like the, the, there's a a track in it called West Side. Which is like a sort of vaguely, vaguely recognisable, but it's like super fucking English. I think the chorusness is actually probably the most English thing I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> like, like, and and there's a track called "You Got the Style," which is the one you'll definitely know. That's got uh uh, it's getting hot in here. And it's like the accent's super strong, and it's got like phrases in it like "making it a true British climate," that that kind of fucking power. Yeah, that was like the upbeat. Oh, it's, oh, it's stinking, oh. man! It's fucking. Bo- I mean, it, so it, this is like it's it's a form of football music, right? But hear me out. 
It's if you tie this in with the Weatherspoons thing, it's a form of football music, but I don't mean like interest in football music, even like hooligans, right? And I don't mean like Oasis interest in football music, and I don't even mean like Manic Street Preachers, like BMW late career sort of like football music. It's like, you know, the people that make up the bulk of the people that support like Charlton or fucking Luton or those kind of teams, and they go to Wotherspoons and they own loads of those small checked shirts with short sleeves. Do you know the ones that are just like and that's <laughs> oh like, I truly know no, no no t shirt under it or that just those small checked shirts mm-hmm. and they drink like carling and they eat chips and they buy onion rings and, if they're feeling yeah, excitable and they're just completely fucking boring and they work in these horrible tedious office jobs and they live for like an endless stream of fucking football yeah it's like a musical equivalent of swindon yeah exactly and, and it's it's like the m6 corridor this is the soundtrack <laughs> that's the reason also that this music sold so big though because there's fucking loads of these people there are fucking loads of them like yeah, it's the majority of yeah, our it's country fucking terrifying so it's like if you take like l- the worst bits of like the ordinary boys and keen and then add chris martin that's what this sounds like. It is, I mean, it's deeply traumatic experience. <laughs> <laughs> Purely in that I forgot I was alive for like about 40 to 50 minutes. There's a track in it called El Salvador, which is the first one, by the way, which for about five fucking seconds sounds like it might actually not be terrible. Yeah, and, and then it, decides, it really is. <laughs> um, it, it actually, the chorus in that as well sounds exactly like Complicated by Avril Lavigne. Um, yeah. But, but without you ever wanting to sing it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, they followed that up with an album. Uh, called the tourist, and that was the one that had wires on it. Do you well, remember it was like that a was like huge a song. Wires sad because I've got song. wires. She's got wires poking out of her skin. Is that not on a fucking that? advert for like oh, abused kids now or something like that on TV? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> It was just it was just like they'd gone, all right, let's write a the, really sad song. The sad thing is that song is on that advert about abused kids and you're watching it thinking, Oh, that's fucking that's terrible. What's this advert about? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hope they didn't make the kids listen to that. So the lead singer is 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 like now a songwriter for hire. It's <laughs> crazy, man. You thinking about getting him in to do a new Nexus tune? Aye. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does stuff with George Ezra on New Meet 6, so it tells you everything you need to know about that guy, right? But Jesus. Still. All right, Mark, next one. So, <laughs> David. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pretty after this. Uh, right, hang on a second. Before so, you guys get your fucking boner on for these two stupid records. Talk amongst yourselves so I get a beer, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I'll wait for Chris to come back. Oh, please. Please. Alright, so we've actually We've got two records left There's yeah. the one that I bought for Mark And, and this is the one that Mark bought for me I distinctly overheard you both unironically <laughs> saying You really liked them <laughs> well, well, no, I think they're both Quite uh, Decent Well, we'll come to mine Plastic. But let's talk about yours <laughs> So let me take you I, back. I find this in the Glasgow Poundland for you, and I saw it, and I go, I, I just thought. But we should you, point. Out I think you genuinely like this record. Well, um, I'll, let me take you back to 2002, right? So I'm there already. <laughs> um, I'm alright. <laughs> so I went to see a band called Boy Sets Fire in the Cat House, and I was a massive fan. Still, I'm actually that band. 
and a band supporting them were a man called Funeral for a Friend and it was a first ever UK tour they'd just released their EP mm-hmm. between Order and Model yeah fell in love with the band instantly I was like 17 years old they released another EP after that called Four Ways to Scream Your Name which was great and then that, that fucking name oh man and then <laughs> after that the, it, was, it's a, it was a height of emo man do you know what I mean it was yeah. true absolutely emo. yeah uh, and then they released an album called Casual Dress and Deep in Conversation which I thought was dead white at the time because I was you know I was like fucking 18 years old Um thought it was dead white witty witty, witty okay. I mean it, it was dead white yes yeah, <laughs> it's truly white white as fuck <laughs> uh, and then uh, when that album came out I was deeply disappointed because it, they'd done these two EPs and there was like, really it, yeah because I was like ah. when that album came out I was deeply disappointed that it, it came, came out, out. <laughs> <laughs> so like on that record there's like 12 songs on it and like four of them had been uh, yeah, four of them had been released before and the other songs they'd written to complement those four songs were just not as good with the exception of maybe one or two. So when I'd heard they went away to America to record an album with Terry Day, who was famous for producing Pantera, I thought, well, that's a bit weird. That could be quite interesting. And they went away and recorded this album called Hours. <laughs> which is the album that David got from me. Yep. yep, yep. 2005 came out and the first single was a song called Streetcar, which is the second song on the record and it's got this big galloping Iron Maiden riff like dun 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 dun. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This sounds interesting. It's kind of not because it's got like this bit, like as a middle eight, where like people are talking to each other on the phone. Well, the whole, the whole, weird. the whole, and this is really embarrassing, but like the whole song starts off with a dial, dial tone, tone and then it comes in, right? I was in a band at that time and I've, I didn't like that band, but I was just in it for the, the banter, the banter. <laughs> and, uh, but our singer took a song away and put a fucking dialing tone noise at the beginning and it, like six months after this song came out and I was like uh, it wasn't even good when it first happened why have you done uh, you're just like mate uh, you just ruined us you just ruined us yeah well we'll never but make it now with that aside um, the first song on the record All The Rage I'm going back to Dimmer is like a total banger of a song it's an absolute fucking class song but the whole record for me was again quite disappointing it was only like a handful of really good tracks on it Um Recovery, The End of Nothing. The End of Nothing is a super fucking heavy song. Um, Hospitality and Roses for the Dead as well were pretty good. There's a song on it called History, which is about the minor strikes. from South Wales so that's actually a really cool song if you think about it in the context of like them having grown up with like from like 
families of minors and then like like sort of reliving that trauma through you know familiar bonds and like you know being like but fucking like I'm I'm from central Scotland and I you don't just went smart enough to write that song mate sorry but it's just the way it was I, I, I just I, I just don't want some fucking shitey emo metal band to do a song about Clydeside striking. It's because you didn't date yourself, man. That's what it is. Like, um, no, were you in the minor strike? Like, eh? I, I, I was fucking. I was not. I'm fucking Pollock, man. Like, my dad wasn't a minor. <laughs> uh, but no, like, I think, like the first record. This is quite a disappointing record for me, but I've got a lot of feeling attached to it. I went to Wales and seen them like play three shows back to back in Newport, and then uh, the. Fucking sick. The place they're from, a really small town, um, because of Bridge, can't remember the name of it, but basically I saw them and they were fucking tremendous. Met the lead singer's dad, which is fucking really weird, but kind of cool. Uh, they were supported by a million dead, which who were a really small band at the time, so it was a really cool time. I've got a lot of good memories attached to this album, man. Which so when you picked it for me, I was like, "Fuck, man, that's a that's a massive flashback oh, for me." Happy Christmas! And it was like, yeah, totally happy Christmas, yeah, man. It yeah, was like there a you really go. Good, it's all about nostalgia. It's, like total, it's all about yeah, memories. nostalgic time capsule, man. Uh-huh. And I still occasionally listen to recovery, look, recovery, and end of nothing. The only two songs in this record that I still listen to. That's occasionally I don't listen to them regularly. Sometimes I want to fucking have a, a wee bit of a flashback to my youth. I'll be like, I'll put on a two tunes. Yeah. Um, but no, like, I f- like they were. A cool, I was, cool I was dis- for me in time. I was man, disappointed so. in this album because I felt it was kind of overproduced. It really is, and man. It, yeah. Uh, I really like Casually Dressed. I enjoyed it. Um, I got that. I must have been seventeen, and I got that at the same time as I bought Lamb of God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the. Like they they covered all the bases for me. I had the metal and I had the emo, and I was happy with both records. So Funeral would go. Funeral would go on to release a whole bunch of more albums. Um, some of which are really good. Some of which were fucking dreadful. <laughs> I don't know if Dave agrees with that. <laughs> That's not true. No, there's, a, there's an album 2011 called Welcome Home Armageddon, which is basically a melodic hardcore record, and it's fucking brilliant because they just like chucked like all the melody and all the emo shit to the side and just went, you know what? We're going to play these like proper like rise against these style songs, and it's like it's actually fucking banging. And it's come so late in their career, you're like, where did that come from? That's yeah. a really strange thing. Um, but before that, they had an album called. Uh, Tales don't tell themselves but they decided I think it was the last record on the three album deal for a major label and they thought you know what we'll do we'll be like a big arena rock band and they feel utterly well, fucking like, miserably it's I mean they were from Wales man. so they're obviously up against Lost Profits and Bullet from My Valentine yeah. at the same time yeah. and they couldn't do it they just they couldn't hang they could not <laughs> hang at all man and then the, the record after that Memory, Memory and Humanity has actually got less, like Ian Watkins doing vocals on it uh, Which doesn't really age particularly well. Don't now. talk, don't <laughs> talk about the, minors in front of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Hey-o>. <laughs> yeah, no, th- thank you for that, man. Like, thanks for no, that. No, no, like, I, I saw a, it and I thought genuinely. Like a story of Wales like and the minors yeah. just yeah. won't do what you tell them. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that, man. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I appreciate this that you have got for me. Oh. It is uh, 36 Crazy Fists, Bitterness the Star. I 
and this truly defines Roadrunner Records between 1999 <laughs> no, and 2003. If that was in a digipack with four extra live tracks. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> so, I mean, this is famous basically for having one song on it, uh, Slit Wrist Theory. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, 36 Crazy Fists came out. Uh, when did this come out? 2002. Yeah. So it was just at kind of the tail end of the new metal. Yeah, boom. It was just before Killswitch Engage like blew it all apart by doing like metalcore. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So you'd had bands like Seven Dust and Head Planet Earth and Spineshank <laughs> and Nothing's See, Face. I almost got you a Hoobastank record. Oh my god! So Hoobastank? <laughs> no, no, I can't. I can't deal with this. 36 Crazy Fists. Like every band kind of had to have a gimmick in new metal. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Orgy, it was the fact that they only did a cover and they dressed like gimps. It was the fact they knew <laughs> Davis really is. Like- yeah, yeah. Um, like you had Head Planet Earth, uh, the guy had dreadlocks, dry skin logic. One of them was bald. Co- um, dry skin logic. Dry, dry kill logic. Dry kill logic. <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't really matter. That's so fucking Freudian. <laughs> I'm gonna get this boy some moisturizer, man. Fucking hell. Uh, Thirty six crazy fists. I think their gimmick was they were from Alaska. Yes, that's exactly that what literally it was. Literally, yeah. they were from Alaska, and so they wore like plaid shirts, and they looked kind of hard, like they worked on a quarry. And in fact, <laughs> like the cover of this record is just like a bit of machinery Rawr. in a yard. It's so manly. Um, and also his, like he kind of, his vocal is like, he does this really weird high melodic vocal with a, like a tremolo. And I can't work out if it's yeah. an effect or if he's just going like this the whole time. I saw, I saw them live <laughs> on that tour because they were he sounds ah oh, you sound like that character from Carnation Street I saw him live because we were doing the Roadrunner uh, tour uh, Road Rage tour with Killswitch Engage uh-huh. and I went to see Killswitch and that was the first time I'd heard that band and all that is what his voice sounds like when he sings uh, actually yeah no, it's interesting you sound like uh, oh fucking what's his name Keith, not Keith Chegwin the other one Bobby, not Bobby Davo. Bobby, I don't know. The one that was in... Um, Les Dennis. Les Dennis. You sound like Les Dennis's impersonation. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> What's her fucking name? Starts with an M, doesn't it? M? Ah, not Maureen. Oh, but... Oh. Deir, not Deirdre. Um, no. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Fucking Coronation Street character with a fucking weak, weird voice. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, so... I think they... Obviously, like all of these bands, Roadrunner would stick them on either a Metal Hammer or a Kerrang CD. And the single off this uh, album was Slit Wrist Theory. Mm-hmm. And the gimmick for that was it had a delay pedal, which I don't think had been found in new metal yet because all they used was flange. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it had a, that song had like like a big riff that everybody knows and like like to be honest that's like a big anthemic new metal hardcore song it's like pretty good man the rest of this record is fucking shit but is it David is it did you really really get in it there's a few good riffs there's a few good riffs in it right so the first track Turn Ashes is Definitely taken from the deft tones, like head up, like that sort of. Yeah. 
like that era of new metal which i'm into and then kind of goes a bit more basic with it circle the drain is like total breakdown shit Um, but then there's just a whole lot of other just nonsense like the, like the big brown new metal like the sort <laughs> of slow spine shank or yeah. the seven dust that just means nothing to anybody um, did they not have any truly important and meaningful songs about minor strikes or perhaps it Exxon Valdez oil well spell? I think it was probably uh, gold mining if they're from Alaska so profound. but funnily go. enough yeah. like they're obviously a band that were truly affected by Killswitch Engage because uh, two years later they came back with an album called Snowcapped Romance and it was like, it wasn't the metal, it was metalcore. Yep. And it was really good metalcore. Uh, and his vocals fitted that way more than it fitted this. They weren't trying to be Deftones anymore. They were just being a metalcore band and they were really good at it. Yeah, it worked, yeah. Um, so this is like a really kind of stodgy 2 out of 5 new metal record, but they ended up being a 4 out of 5 metalcore band, which is interesting. But um, I mean, thank you. I never got this record. Uh, <laughs> so now <laughs> I have, have it. it. <laughs> now I have it. Wow. Uh, I gave all my CDs away five years ago. I was so. say, me, me too. <laughs> you'll, you'll have that big it's, now, it's one of my six CDs that I, I own. I hope you have like a giant CD storage unit with just one fucking <laughs> CD slotted in there. Yeah. Oh, so. two. Two, I suppose. Two, yeah, two. two. absolute rippers. Yeah, the Shire Horses. That'll, that's going straight in the car, so. <laughs> and, 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 then the the, and then the fucking <laughs> No, it's going straight in the car and then the car's going straight in the river. Yeah. <laughs> Burn it. Uh. <laughs> 